Good morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast podcast, and I am your host, Phil Coover of Shank Yanis Tepper Campbell. The Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a Chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast utilizing attorneys, finance, and real estate professionals to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues and entertaining discussion. This podcast is a mixture of the real estate business and law. If listeners are interested in a certain topic, I want you to feel free to get in touch with us by contacting us at solutioncenter at satcltd.com or by visiting our website, realestatebreakfast.com. Really want to thank all of our listeners. We've really seen this podcast grow in the past month or two, and we're just very excited about the direction that it's going and the quality of our guests continues to grow and we continue to get um, great people coming on the podcast and we just are really appreciative of, our, of both our guests as well as our listeners and thank you for for telling your friends and for spreading the word please feel free to go onto itunes and leave us a rating we just want to encourage you to reach out to us if there's someone you want us to talk to if there's someone that you want a topic that you want us to broach let us know We should also mention that this podcast is brought to us by SATC Solution Center L3C, which is the Educational and Development Division of the law firm Shank Annis Tepper Campbell LTD. That's where I'm an attorney and principal principal with the firm. Shank Annis Tepper Campbell creates business solutions for entrepreneurs and privately held companies. We partner with our clients to provide commercial real estate, business, estate planning, litigation, and insurance law guidance to help grow their business and protect their assets. So for today, we have Sam Rosen of DeskPass, and this is a little bit different than some of our other podcasts. Sam is a designer by trade, but uh, it, I like to call him an outsider to the commercial real estate industry, but he's been in the real commercial real estate industry for over 10 years now. So he is, uh, this is, our topic really today is co-working spaces. And Sam is well-versed. He's an entrepreneur. He started the Coop, which he sold in 2013, which is a co-working space. And now he has this company called DeskPass. And I wanted someone to come on to talk about co-working spaces because I'm hearing more and more about it. They're an alternative to your traditional office space where you can sign on for like a month-to-month uh, tenancy where you just come in and you have access to a shared space with a lot of other businesses and entrepreneurs and you have access to shared resources. You have that community feel. You have a lot of amenities usually and it allows businesses an entry level into having a place to conduct their business and their operations without signing on to a long-term lease and trying to figure out how am I going to get copiers and scanners and computers and all of that is set up there and provided for you. So you have this ability to just step right in, just turnkey and do it. And you can usually do it on a pretty flexible plan. So I wanted someone to come in to help talk about this because it used to be a couple of years ago, I would think of it just as small entrepreneurs and uh, smaller businesses. But now I'm starting to see big companies that have suburban offices utilizing these co-working spaces in downtown Chicago so they can attract top tier talent. So anyway, Sam comes into the picture because he's in this space and so he knows a lot about it and is about quarter of the way through our discussion that I realized he was the smartest person in the room when I had a better understanding of his business plan. I thought it was just another co-working space, but really DeskPass, it provides an entry-level offering where you can sign up for a couple of passes a month or um, 
they have several different packages that he'll explain on the podcast. But what it allows is instead of just signing up to go into a, a co-working space all the time is you have a basically guest passes to several different co-working sites so you can check out different areas and you can even do it multi-city because I think that they're in Denver and Chicago and New York and they're they're continuing to expand so you can it's good for the business traveler and it's good for somebody who likes to try different options and somebody who might not be working in the same place every day and it'll it's uh it's almost like a marketing scheme for bigger co-working spaces to get people to get more comfortable with the co-working option and it allows them an entry-level offering to get them in the door. So what I realize, what I say that I realized that Sam was the smartest person in the room is because his business is genius because uh, he doesn't have to maintain these co-working spaces. He doesn't have to sign a long-term lease so that, and organize um, administrative help and copiers and all that for the tenants of the co-working space he just has this website which is uh which connects the customer to the co-working space and so he doesn't have these long-term liabilities he doesn't have all of the administrative and uh, obligations of running the co-working space but he has the ability to scale the business and to provide that service so it's a really interesting discussion. Sam's a really interesting guy. I think you'll enjoy it. Real Estate for Breakfast podcast coming right up. Good morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast, and I'm your host, Phil Coover. I'm joined today by Sam Rosen of DeskPass, and we're here to talk about co-working, which you'll, I'm sure you've heard in the news quite a bit, but it's an option uh, which is different than your traditional office space. And Sam is the founder of DeskPass, and what's your official title? Founder. Perfect. <laughs> I love Keep it, it simple. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sam, let's. I want to talk about your background, how you got to Desk the founding desk pass, but let's just start with the product. So uh, tell us a little bit about your offering. Yeah, so desk pass is a monthly membership uh, that gives you access to about 85 spaces today, um, 85 co-working spaces. Uh, right now we're in Chicago and we're in Los Angeles and uh, we're in Denver. So with one membership that starts at about 50 bucks, you get access to about 85 spaces and you can show up and work for the day uh, it's all covered through this one membership so it's just a really nice way to have access to lots of spaces all over the place that you know you could work drop in for the day get some work done yeah i like this for a couple different reasons i find that it's obviously you have your traditional office space you rent a large office and for a company that uh is either been around for a long time or starting off, that's a big endeavor, it's a big cost to undertake, and it doesn't come with a lot of amenities depending on which space you're in. So you're just taking on a lot of space, you have to build it out, you have to furnish it, phones, the whole deal. So, And then you have some of uh, the other co-working spaces where you can have a small office set up shop on a semi-permanent basis to get going for a year, two years, um, that share amenities with other spaces. But then 
I think you're serving a different uh, kind of clientele, somebody who's uh, looking to work more, who's more on the go, more mobile, and um, maybe it doesn't need that one consistent place, but it's gonna be all over bouncing around, and it's certainly a heck of a lot better than a coffee shop, because I think we've all had that experience where a coffee shop, it sounds very romantic in your mind, but after about an hour and a half, you're uncomfortable and it's loud. Whenever you try to uh, get on the phone, as soon as you talk, there's an espresso machine going off in the background or the outlets don't work. I mean, yeah, totally. Most cafes weren't designed for business work. They, they, they were designed for a more casual environment. So, yeah, absolutely. So I noticed that uh, for desk pass there is a limitation as to the amount of uses depending upon uh, your plan. So uh, what was your thinking in setting up the structure like that? Yeah, so um, we have different tiers of membership. So maybe I start with like, who are the types of people who use DeskPass? Because I think you're totally right. And, and we have a few different types of users. Um, you know, a, a thing that's really encouraging to us, and, and we think it's a reason why our, our business is working so well and will continue to grow and be popular is, um, you know, right now our bread and butter customer is somebody who works from home. Uh, and there's a lot of statistics that talk about sort of the rise of the freelance worker, a study that Intuit just did that said, well, didn't just do, but says 40% of the global workforce is going to be a freelancer by 2020, right? That's so pretty it's pretty wild. I mean, that's a huge change that's really been driven, I think, by technology and by globalization and by the fact that, you know, you, most folks, especially folks in, that are like knowledge workers that work with their computers for most of the day, they can do their work from, from anywhere they want. Um, so it, it presents this sort of really interesting question that if I don't have to go to the office or maybe I don't have an office that's supplied by the company that I'm working for um, and I can work from wherever I want, you know, it presents a really interesting question, which is like, well, you know, where do I want to work? Um, and uh, I think that's such an interesting question. I think it's interesting that most folks don't get to answer that question unless you're the boss or, you know, you you don't get to choose where you want to work every day. And maybe a cafe is a great environment for you. Maybe working from home is a great environment for you. But maybe you need to get out of the house. And um, an ideal work environment for you might be a very quiet, clean environment. And that, might, to me, might be like, you know, the last place I want to work and I'm looking for more of a a different type of atmosphere with more commotion and people. And I think the idea of giving people the opportunity to work in different types of space as they need it, uh, depending on maybe what their line of work is, maybe specifically what they're doing that day, maybe specifically what their schedule is that day. They have to go downtown to uh, their dentist after, you know, at three. And before that, they just need a place to work for a few hours and it makes more sense to work near their dentist than anywhere else. So, it's this really empowering idea, and most of the people that right now are using the app are folks that um, work from home. They like working from home. Right. They just need to get out of their house once or twice a week. Um, but we see a lot of people and more and more uh, larger companies or middle-sized companies that are recognizing we've got to do something. Um, Millennials are this, the first generation that really says that, that value work-life balance um, 
and mobility, uh, in many cases, over salary. And there's really interesting articles that I've read recently that say, you know, a pretty sizable proportion of millennials would prefer would give up part of their salary if they didn't have to schlep to, let's say, you know, an hour to Oak Brook or to the suburbs or a reverse commuter or whatever it might be every day. So you see these companies that realize we're invested in our our campus and our, our commercial real estate and we're in a long-term commitment. Uh, and we're weary of this changing landscape of remote work and letting people work from where they want to whenever they want to. And desk passes are really interesting in between because I think it allows folks to dip their toes in the water and allows people to say, you know, I'm going to, without making a serious investment, without taking a lot of risk, they can offer a benefit, they can offer a perk to millennials or other people in their on their team, give them access, a control that they can control to a certain number of spaces and allow them to understand, you know, how their workforce is going to use shared workspace and space outside of their home or outside of their office. So it's a really cool um, problem we're solving. And we found that it's a really compelling option to businesses that know they have to do something. They just don't know what they're going to do yet. Right, right. That's what drew me to uh, wanting you to come on the podcast initially is because For a year or so, when I would hear about shared working spaces, I would think, well, I have an office. It's not much for me. But then my eyes sort of opened up about two months ago. I was having dinner with a couple computer engineers that were millennials, and they were talking about how they worked for Fortune 500 companies, but they worked at a shared working space downtown Chicago, and they didn't work out at the uh, Palatine office or wherever because these bigger companies were, and not just Fortune 500, but um, it's an intriguing option if you're trying to attract young talent rather than try to get them to come to you. You can sort of set up a remote location for them to work. And it's also, even if you weren't looking for that type of worker, but let's say you had signed a long-term lease for a space, and if you're a small business and you want to, you need some extra staff for a project or something like that, it's a nice add-on uh, rather than say, well, where am I going to put these people to do this one-year project or six-month project sure. is I can just utilize a shared working space, set them up there, they'll have access to the resources they need. And so rather than thinking of it from a consumer, do I want to do this? I've started to think about it from a business. Would, would this make sense for a business to utilize these spaces? Yeah, I you know, I really believe I've sort of backed myself into commercial real estate, right? I mean, I'm come from a design and technology background and that's you, you've definitely are the first uh, self-styled designer yeah. that we've had on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's I'm proud to be. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so I think I have a pretty unique perspective of this industry and I've been really fascinated by um, how it works and uh, you know, uh, and in, at times, how inefficient I think uh, it is. I think I don't by any means expect co-working to replace traditional office space. I don't expect um, uh, it, it to replace long-term leases and, and, and you know, outright. I think, you know, what's going to happen is uh, the way people work is going to evolve. And instead of having one space that you go to all the time, you'll have an ecosystem of different types of spaces that are appropriate for different reasons. Um, So I think that will include 
offices, maybe businesses will take less space because they have more flexible options and they're not taking as long-term large risks, but they're supplementing their real estate with like, giving people the ability to work from other places. And I think shared workspaces, co-working spaces are going to be a large part of that for all sorts of reasons, like you said, to, hey, we're flexing, we need extra space, we need our team to get out of our stodgy office to be in a more you know inspiring environment for a short period of time. We need a private conversation outside of our four walls. I mean, there's there's limitless reasons. So I think it's really interesting, and I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see businesses adopting these alternative workplace strategies that include uh, many different types of space and then sort of the tools, technology, and process in the businesses to allow that to be seamless, allow that to feel natural and comfortable, allow employees not employers not to be nervous about if I can't watch over my you know, employees' shoulder, are they doing the work that I pay them to do? So I think a lot of that is, you know, going to work itself out of time. But by no means do I think co-working spaces will replace a traditional office. I just think it will supplement and, and, and change uh, the dynamic of the, of the overall market eventually. Sure. And a couple of softballs, just so people understand the, the product a little bit yeah. more. Um, is there a what do these places look like is there telephone is there, are there rooms they can take a private call uh, are there mini conference rooms where people can two or three people can sit and discuss yeah every space is different um and that's one of the interesting things about our platform right i mean you look at some of these larger providers of shared workspace like regis or WeWork, and those are um, different flavors of, of what is a kind of a similar concept, right? But they're all like, you, you know what you're going to get in a Regis. You know what you're going to get in a WeWork. The thing that's pretty neat about DeskPass is you have, in Chicago, we have 40 spaces, and they're all very different. You have spaces like Grind uh, on LaSalle and Madison, basically, that are very modern, very clean, very professional, open floor plans. Uh, they have private phone space that you can access and conference rooms you can book for an additional charge. Uh, and then we have like spaces that are really more focused around writers or neighborhood that feel more like a, a coffee shop vibe, but you know, with the, the co-working model. So the thing that's interesting is you get a wide array of different types of space. And the thing that's really cool with our app is you can go to our website, you can go to the iOS or Android app, and you could say, show me a space near me, or show me a space that I can bring my dog, or show me a space that yeah. I can get a private area, and we'll help you find the space uh, that is appropriate for you. We give you then, uh, make it really easy. So you know where to go, you know how to get in the front door, you know where to sit, you know how to get in the bathroom, you know what the Wi-Fi password is, you know the house rules are. So you don't have to get onboarded by the space, you can simply look at the app, see what the space sort of looks like and feels like, decide if it's appropriate, click a button, show up, and have all the information you need to just get straight to work and not have to do a big song and dance. Um, so that's really how the app works. Every space is different. We, uh, uh, what we basically offer is, guaranteed through DeskPass is a, a nice professional work environment, uh, so a desk internet, um, and coffee. And everything else is different. So some spaces say, yeah, you can use our private offices, conference rooms if they're available. And a bunch say, 
yeah, you can do that if you want to pay us an extra fee. And we try to make that as clear as possible on the application. Uh, but the other thing that's neat is our membership gives you access to LA and Denver, Austin soon, and New York shortly thereafter. So for one membership that starts at 50 bucks, all of a sudden you're going to have close to 150 offices that you can go to on demand um, whenever, whenever you need them. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty unique uh, value proposition. Yeah, and I would imagine it would be great for the traveler, if you, especially if you're traveling to those cities frequently. Um, yeah. You know, that's an excellent option. Um, so yeah, you said you're in Chicago, LA, and Denver, and then you intend to expand to Austin, New York, yeah. soon. Yeah. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you about is there is a even if you use uh, the larger or more substantial option, uh, the more expensive option to use it every day, there's still a limitation as to which actual space you can use, how often you can use the space in a given month. Uh, Why did you set it up that way? Yeah, so one of the things that's awesome about this product is, um, and I'm biased, uh, but you know, one of the things that I think is, uh, uh, is really compelling is it is the least expensive option in the marketplace. So if you look in Chicago, it starts at 50 bucks and we actually will give, you know, your listeners, you know, a discount for their first month. Um, so, you know, for half off. So, I mean, legitimately you can try this for $25 for your first month. Um, and thank you. Uh, you're, you're so welcome. <laughs> um, and so what happens is, uh, you can, it, it's, it's the cheapest option. And the reason we're able to offer a cheapest option, in many cases, our, our option is cheaper than going to the spaces themselves directly. And the reason they allow us to do that is because we're focused on marketing, uh, co-working as an idea, and getting people in the front door that are new to this concept and new to this space. So for them, we're very much a, a lead generation tool, right? So they give us a special rate to get those folks in the door, but the cap basically makes it so that if uh, you really want to go to one space and that one space because it's close to your house or you really like the community or you really like the environment and you want to go there every day, um, you you just can. It, it, it's in, you can't do it through our platform. So our platform will only allow you to do it five days per space. So if you want to go to Grind more than five times, you have to go to Grind and say, hey, I need a membership directly with Grind. So the reason we do that is that's how we have negotiated this this really unique and discounted price and gives us this really compelling option. I mean, 50 bucks for 40 spaces, you know, 200 bucks gives you access every single day. I mean, name another option uh, around that gives you access to more space for a, a more affordable price. and. I, I bet you can't, other, other than the library. <laughs> uh, I am a big advocate of libraries. My mother's a librarian. <laughs> but, um, so that's interesting. I, I actually am just catching up a little bit. So DeskPass, does DeskPass actually operate the shared working space? It just gives you access to the already existing shared right. working spaces. Yeah, we partner well, with the existing spaces. So it's a cool business for us because... You know, we don't have a lot of overhead in, in running and, and main, maintaining these spaces. Um, we vet the spaces, we pick great spaces, and to the spaces we help bring in awesome folks right. every day. To the spaces, you know, my my offer is really simple. It's 
and I truly believe this. I've been in co-working for almost eight years now. I, you know, uh, myself and my partner Pat Griffin. Early op- adopter. Yeah, we opened the first co-working space in Chicago called the Coop, and we sold that uh, about three years ago, which it's now called Next Space River North. So I've been in this space for a long time. I've seen it since there were a hundred spaces globally, and at last count, there's about fourteen thousand expected by the end of this year. It's been within about seven years. So it's been. A, tremendous amount of of growth Um, and I am very attuned to it and I'm sure a lot of people who are in this industry of real estate are attuned to co-working spaces and and we work and these options that are coming up and how it's changing the market and uh, I mean you know there's a more and more space, the significant amount of space being picked up by these co-working spaces in, in lots of markets, not just Chicago. Um, but I still believe if I went to the street right now, you know, we're in downtown Chicago in the central business district, right? And uh, more or less, and if I went to the corner and I asked 10 people, do you know what co-working is? I think nine of them would say, co Co-what? And I think the reality is that most people, general folks, have no idea that these spaces exist yet. Uh, it, it's by no means mainstream, and we're way ahead of the curve. So the value that we're really providing uh, for these spaces is we're focused on helping drive awareness and education that these spaces exist period, let alone which space is right for them. So to the spaces, we say we're going to help drive new people who are working from home, who are working from cafes, who don't know what co-working co-working is. We're going to educate them that these spaces exist, and we're going to bring them to your front door, and you can wow them. And that's been a really successful uh, proposition for our spaces, and the spaces that are really fabulous um, do really well, and they drive a fair amount of revenue and conversions and full-time members through our platform. So... That's really how we get away with offering such an inexpensive price. Um, it's because we do a, a lot of surface, uh, service to our spaces, especially the yeah, spaces absolutely. that are independent and not these bigger guys. Because in Chicago, you have uh, a, a few f- larger groups, either Chicago-based or New York-based or whatever, that are coming in and taking up lots of space. And those guys are investing in marketing and they're savvy marketers. And at the same time, you have 30 other spaces that are much more mom and pop and much more independent. And they might not be investing um, any money in marketing. And if they are, it's probably not a ton. And they're likely not that savvy of a marketer. So we go to them and and say, we're going to help the power of all of us together offer a value proposition that is considerably cheaper and broader than any of the competitors and it's something that we can do together so that's that's why this i think is working yeah well that makes total sense well let's talk about how you got into commercial real estate uh so just tell us about your background and how you decided that you're going to do i mean you're in commercial real estate but you're also a tech company yeah. is that fair to say yeah i don't know who yeah. i am some days uh, <laughs> yeah no so my background uh i'm from chicago uh, and I uh, am a partner and, and founded a uh, digital agency, a design firm called One Design Company um, about 12 years ago. So I've always been really interested in technology and, and sort of how I got into co-working was, again, about eight years ago, um, you know, I, I realized that I, I could manage and help run my business from 
wherever, as long as I had my computer and phone and my team. You know, I didn't need to be in the office every day, and I had a, a pretty flexible uh, ability to work where I want. And at the same time, I had a girlfriend, and she lived in, a, in Williamsburg in a downtown, or in Brooklyn, the hipster capital of, uh, of the world. And um, I would go there, like, every three weeks or so, uh, and um, she would go to school, and I would work out of her office and her or, sorry, her apartment. And she was, and still is, a very lovely human being, but she was messy, so messy. And she had this garden apartment, um, and uh, she would leave, and I would sit there, and I'd try to get my work done, and I would do my conference calls and blah, blah, blah. And I have this very specific memory of we got this big client, and we were working, we closed the work and we're kicking it off and I was leading the meeting and I was dropping this phone call over and over again like five times or something like that I dropped this phone call and it didn't go well and afterwards one of my colleagues was like dude not cool you know you this is not gonna fly anymore and I was like okay um so I started going to the cafe across the street because I don't know New York and I don't have any friends there and don't know any businesses there and I just need a place to work. That's where I work, cafes, when I'm not at home. So I went to this cafe that was called The Rabbit Hole, which I think is a funny name for this story. And um, I would sit there all day. I would have two coffees and one bagel. And it didn't take very long until I realized that they didn't like me very much and didn't want my business because I'm sure their rent's very expensive, and I'm only getting two coffees. I could tell because every time I went there, there'd be like a new rule. There'd be like a little table tent sign that says, no using your computers between our lunch rush and 12 and 2. And then, you know, one day I tried to plug in my computer, and none of the outlets worked anymore. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I get the message. You're the guy that the management <laughs> is talking about. Like, all right, we that have guy. this problem customer, <laughs> and he's just soaking up our privacy. That's it. That was me. And, you know, I don't want to be somewhere that I'm not wanted. And, again, I never knew co-working existed. There were probably 100 spaces in the world. And one of my colleagues, and Noah, um, said, hey, have you ever heard of co-working? We were in New York for business together, and I said, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Co-what? And he showed me a wiki page that had a list of about 100 spaces in the world that were live and active. One of them happened to be a few blocks away. It was a space called The Change You Want to See, which I thought was the dumbest name at the time. But in hindsight, I'm like, right. it changed my universe. I mean, it really did. So now I think the name's great. But um, I walked into this space. It was a few blocks from her apartment. Uh, there was a large table, um, about 20 people or so sitting around this table. I walked in, like a deer in headlights, very awkward experience. Some dude got up and goes, hey, um, you here for the co-working? And I was like, yeah. He's like, great, we have a, you know, a couple rules. I said, great. He said, you know, be respectful and don't download any porn or any, you know, torrent any movies and uh, I said sure yeah I can do both of those things and he said and at the, it's a non-for-profit space at the end of the day if you uh, um, you know like it put in you know some money in the jar and I said yeah so I got what I immediately needed out of the space I had a good internet a quiet place to take phone calls and, and focus and that was what I wanted and what I expected what I didn't expect and what 
in hindsight, provided even more value to me was the people at that table. I mean, they were New Yorkers. They worked in New York. They were cool right. people. And they were in arts and media and design and politics, all things that I was really interested in. So aside from just getting a great place to work, I made friends. And I remember the guy in the first day, the guy next to me worked at Current TV and it's like, there's a music festival in town and made a list for me of all the shows that were in town and an asterisk next to the ones where he could get me on the list. And I was like, this is amazing. This is so much more than just a place to work, which is why I walked in the front door. But this is like, I have some people here now and I'm getting plugged into this Brooklyn, you know, and and, and that was tremendous for me. Yeah, that's cool. So when I came back to Chicago, I had... Uh, an office, I had two units in a live workspace. One was where I was living and one was our office, which was a graduation, a, a graduated step from living and working in the same place. Um, but I was tired of living next to where I was working um, and I needed to get out. And I went to my business partner and said, hey, I think we should give this a shot. There were no co-working spaces in Chicago. So we um, opened up the first one, and I think we were lucky because other people had heard of co-working before and were interested in the space, just not making one. So we were able to fill ourselves up pretty quickly, and we grew organically you know, from about seven desks to about like 70 um, in about five years. Um, moved to, from the West Loop to from Fulton Market to River North um, and uh, built a really lovely brand, a really lovely space, a really lovely community of people. And then for me, um, because I build software for a living uh, and solve you know, technology and design problems, I was really compelled by um, how we can help support this new type of space, a new type of experience through technology. So we started with a directory to help people find these spaces. Um, we started then to build, which is called Desk Time, which is still around. And we raised some money and, and focused on building um, software to help these spaces manage, like the day-to-day operations of running a space. And ultimately, um, move to DeskPass because it's really been you know the most successful product for us but I think it also solves the most important problem in the in the space right now which is butts and seats you know I have this yeah. awesome office there were there was you know when I started I was the, probably the first five six hundred square feet of co-working in the city I mean now there you know over a million square feet of co-working space here so it's changed a lot. It's a lot more competitive. The prices have changed. There are sophisticated, savvy mark, you know, people in the space. Um, and the biggest problem that all of them have is getting people in the front door. So that's that's how we've evolved to to where we are. And and I think we're solving a, 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 a the right problem the right way. Uh, your company is uh, great value to co-working, and it's. I love the idea of the company because, yeah, you're not taking on the long-term liabilities of some of these co-working spaces where you're actually leasing the real estate. You're provide your service to both your clients and your clients on the co-working spaces, mm-hmm. and you're connecting and bridging the gap between the two. Uh, one thing that I wanted to ask you, which I just always wanted to ask people in tech companies, is. Um, that leap from being a designer and artist and going from that to being a tech company. And 
you said, oh, you know, we raised some money, and I'm sure uh, you've done that for a company or two, so maybe that's a, a process that you're, you're very familiar with, but I think that that must be hard for a creative person to go from, hey, I designed this, I build this, and now all of a sudden, in order to take my idea and really make it a career, and to make it a business, I have to transition from being just a designer, and I have to go to being a business person, and I have to raise some capital here, and not just like a little bit of capital, like 20 grand. Yeah. Uh, I have to actually raise a lot of capital yeah. in order to really make this company. And so you're like, holy crap, like how do I go from just building, taking an idea, building into a product, and now I have to try to figure out how to scale a business. Yeah. Um, so when you decided to do that, how did you approach trying to raise capital? Yeah. Well, you know, I think some people are more entrepreneurial and some people people aren't, and that's totally cool. I've always been entrepreneurial since I was a little kid. I always had little businesses and dumb, you know, tactics to make money and sell things. So um, I, you know, just had a knack for, I think, this design and, and technology and just, you know, being early on and, you know, decent at it. Um, the thing that I think was really interesting to me was, you know, we built this services business. I mean, one one design, which is our agency, is a it's a time and materials business. You know, you hire our agency to do design and technology work, and you pay us by the hour, and that's our business model, right? Mm-hmm. And building that business um, has been really wonderful and interesting. But then deciding, hey, let's build a product, and instead of having, you know. F- 10 big clients, let's have hundreds of little clients paying us a monthly subscription. And in my mind, it was like, great, you know, if we can make money on a monthly basis and build a SaaS, you know, model with a recurring revenue that grows every month, it, it seemed way better than, you know, sure. always trying to bill by the hour. So I think aside from the, the financing part, which you know, I'm, I'm happy to share, I think like the thing that's actually been the most interesting is changing this mindset from um, the service-based model to a product-based uh, model. And that's interesting because then you're thinking this, this very holistic, long-term picture, right? Because the problems we're solving are not just finding clients and then so- consulting to solve their problem. We're, it's a two-sided marketplace, so we need spaces, and then we need customers. So how do we, uh, you know, find customers? How do we educate them? How do we get them far enough the line to buy our product? Once they buy our product, how do we ensure that they have a good experience and make sure the technology behind it, which is just one little piece, provides a great experience? You know, If they have a problem, how do you support that? Um, if they cancel, how do you support that? How do you, uh, re- you know, get reactivate them later on? So it's this much longer process with many moving parts and it's all different skills and sort of muscles that I had no experience working on. So that's been really interesting was making that leap from focusing on a service-based business to a pro- like a, you know, a, a product-based business. Right, right. Because, yeah, originally you're, you're going to, as a designer, you're going to say, hey, you have a problem. Let's tell me about it. I'll come up, help you come up with a solution. We'll create it. Here you're saying, 
all right, there's a problem that thousands of people have out there, hundreds yeah. of thousands. Let's come up with a solution for all these people, and then let's tell these people that we have this solution for their problem. Yeah, and yeah, for totally us, I mean, the, angle. the design. I mean, how, when we solve these problems, most of the time it's not to get people in the front door. It's once they're in the front door, how do you provide a great experience for them? And this is way different because, you know, the the product is just one little piece. It doesn't product doesn't matter if no one knows about it or is using it, right? So, it, uh, it's it's really interesting to sort of open up and just take you know uh, a higher perspective down at, at all the components for the for the business. In, in terms of raising money, um, to be honest, I think for uh, for me, uh, when we started to raise money, we were a bit naive. I mean, it was really complex. Time or two or five. <laughs> it sounds great, right? It's really compelling. Someone's going to give me, you know, yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars to build this idea I have. Um, and I think, you know, uh, it's easy to not understand or recognize the implications of that money and that stage and time in which that money is coming in because a lot of the money that we've raised was for a, a different product you know same business same cap table but different product so I would approach raising money and, and how we did that differently if I could do it again right I think you know this idea of how do you mm, prove and validate a concept in a meaningful, tactile, tactful way um, before raising money is, is a really interesting and great approach. And we've sort of raised the money and then figured out how to make it work. And I think it, you know, the right capital in the right time in the right place is beautiful. But especially young entrepreneurs like myself, I think sometimes... Um, they don't think through the implications of what what raising capital outside external money and having investors and um, does to your business and affects sort of the way you move things forward. Well, let's talk about those implications. What what are the the strings that are attached? I'm lucky, right? Because I think the best investors, what they do is they say, in the tech space, especially early stage tech, is they say, we bet on the jockey, not on the horse, right? Okay. We like your idea. We think it's in the right spot and has an opportunity, but we believe in you and we believe like you'll figure it out, which is great. Um, and I've been really lucky to have a group of wonderful angel investors that I, you know, I think more than anything have, have bet on me. Um, which is you know good and bad like sure you know yeah, and it's a lot of responsibility it's a lot of pressure and um, so you take that very personally you take that very seriously uh, and so to me the issues are, are around like especially at the beginning of a company in an emerging market and a kind of new industry. You're not going to figure it out off the flop, necessarily. And you're going to have to evolve and change and turn and pivot and make, you know, and figure it out. I mean, it took us five years to find a model that really works, right? So instead of it's just being me and my business partner and saying, like, you know what, let's try this new thing and that's it. That's the approval process. 
you know, now we really feel the responsibility to go to all of our investors and say, hey, you know, course correction, we're going to make some changes. And it adds up. So, you, you know, now we just have this, again, lucky to have wonderful supportive investors and there are no like horror stories behind you know that you hear about picking the wrong money but um but giving you sort of the flexibility agility to really figure it out quickly when you're spending other people's money um uh, it's harder and i think it's a little bit slower and you tend to be a little less risky because you're Respectful that you know you're, you pitched an idea and that's the idea that they invested and that's where they want to see their return. Um, so you, that that's been interesting. Do you find that it's more of a communication issues? You just want to make sure that you're keeping your investors apprised of what's going on, the challenges you have. Does that help them be a little more patient if things aren't? Yeah, absolutely, out to and schedule? supportive. You know, I mean, the best investors are ones that add more value than cash. I think you know, for most of our the folks that have invested in our business, you know, the money was great you know um we have some folk but we have you know a bunch of folks that are in uh, in the real estate business that are either tenant reps or you know landlords or and um they're helpful they're our advisors you know they open doors they can get us uh further faster and give us really good feedback quickly because of their experience so it's important to me that the folks that have supported us are we're all aligned and together, and you know that I'm honest and and frank about you know the state of our business and and where it's going. Well, it sounds like as much as as a young entrepreneur, as much as you're looking for somebody to invest in you, you have to be pretty careful about picking the right people to allow invest in your business. Yep. Um, how did you, is that just a word of mouth thing where you're just like talking to other entrepreneurs, looking for other investors. Is there somewhere that you go to try to seek capital or is that just um, just keep talking to people? I'm sure there looking? are places to go. Um, and we've certainly pitched it, like pitch nights and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I hate raising money. I mean, like that has been my least favorite part of this process. I don't like asking people for money. I, it's one of the most dreadful I just I find no joy in it. Some people love it and they're awesome at it, and I don't, right? So, it, you know, I, and a lot of it is taken at bats and and you know striking out, you know. And uh, I mean, for the probably twenty folks that have invested in this business in the last eight years, I imagine I've probably talked to. 150? I mean, a lot, right? I've had a lot of freaking no's. Um, so, you know, the, a good investor will introduce you to, to good people or people who have invested you. And, and it's just a, a mix of finding people that are, uh, might seem might be interested, going to people you trust, asking them, finding people who are investing in you and asking them. Um, but it's, it's given me no joy. <laughs> yeah, well, I imagine it's very challenging. Um, and that's sort of a recurring theme that we've had on these podcasts is no matter what you're trying to do, whether it's get a job or raise money or do anything, it's don't be afraid to fail and play the numbers game and you need to do 100 things in order to have 10 things work out. 
Um, that's actually just a recurring theme that we've come up in almost everything we've talked about. That's life, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, it's... If, if you... Yeah, this is a, for, I think, an entrepreneur for this game. You, you have to expect and be okay with being rejected many, many, many times and, and learning from that and moving on and not letting it bring you down. But, yeah, like, we've made lots of mistakes. We've, you know, and owning them and learning from them and taking, also taking the good value out of them because I think for every mistake we've made, we've learned a lot. And, you know, we're in a place where we have something that's working and I think that's because we figured out a lot of things that didn't work and that's just, you know, par for the course. I think it's... We hear these stories of people who just like hit it out of the park on their first at bat, right? But even like someone like Airbnb, I mean, if you ask those guys, they launched five times before they like got any traction whatsoever, right? I mean, they struck out a million times in in, in front of investors and their concepts before. So I think like you don't always hear the struggle and you don't always hear how difficult it is and the challenges you tend to hear the wins and the celebrations and the great stories but i mean i think for nearly all of those stories there are so many challenges overcome that have uh, informed people like me or other entrepreneurs to learn and say hey that sucked and I learned a lot, and I'm gonna. That's that's a lot of value, and I'm gonna take that value, and I'm gonna apply it to this next challenge and this next part of this problem. And that's, I think, a very necessary uh, thing to be able to do to be successful, especially as you know, someone who's starting a business. No, I think that's a good lesson. One thing I always try to remind myself is. Uh, there's a difference between risk and uncertainty. And I actually stole this from uh, Seth Godin, who's mm-hmm. a famous marketing guy. I get his blog every day. And uh, people oftentimes conflate the two concepts. And just because you know so something might be uncertain doesn't necessarily mean it's risky. And so don't be afraid to do something that has an uncertain outcome, like ask somebody to invest because the worst they can do is just shoot you down. Yeah. Uh, that's not a risky ask right. because if they say no, you're you're no worse off than you were the day before. Yeah. So don't you're be certain a, yeah. that they won't invest. <laughs> right. and that, then you have some certainty that they're not investing. But that's just something I always try to remind myself ah, of is the difference quote. between. Um, so, Sam, is there anything you want to pitch before uh, before we go? I noticed you have a website, sammyrosen.com. Yeah, and DeskPass. You can learn more at DeskPass.com. I mean, for us, you know, we're... We're new to this. Like I said, I, I sort of backed myself into commercial real estate. We didn't even get into all my thoughts on shadow inventory and how underutilized commercial real estate is, but that's a story for another day. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, for the folks that are listening, if they um, uh, know companies or people that this offering might be a compelling offering for them, um, check out check out what we're up to because we're – we're still the stage, especially with larger companies, where we're really interested in working with them in in unique ways um, that don't necessarily involve a monthly membership um, to give them access to the space and you know working with folks that have been in this business for a long time and have the relationships and understand that this is going to be part of the new ecosystem and and you know I'm always open to talk to people uh, and figure out ways to to collaborate. So I'm easy to find. Sam at Sam at Dust Pass. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sam. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center, Shank Annis Tepper Campbell, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the host and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to, for use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding. 